The year is 1988. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year 1988 Part 1 as we kick off another entry in the Marvel Universe canon, another year, and frankly, the best year. Many, many people have said 88 is the year that stars were born, I've heard. Really? uh, Yeah, it's just like common saying that 88 is the year of the best births. That's what I hear. We are (laughs) now officially in territory where I was around Technically, when these comics Mm -hmm. were released, that's right. Today, we are talking about Black Panther comics released in 88, Daredevil comics released in 88, and Incredible Hulk. Some good stuff to cover today. As always, you have already heard him. I'm joined by the only podcast guest who joins in a onesie, who joins in a man-sized onesie. It's Zach Babyface Dean. How's it going, Zach? (laughs) It's so good. This onesie is incredible. Uh, I got it uh, meundies.com. It's soft. It's stretchy. It's warm. And I just I, want to be clear that like only the only part of this that is a joke is um wait wait did you actually buy it from meundies or is that like a podcast? Joke? No no I got it I, I get. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait they're not sponsoring us yet. Come on we're the only podcast that doesn't have them. As a I I know yeah 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 no no I got I think probably from some podcast I bought some of their stuff before and it's very sure. soft and I got a coupon code. Yeah I got this huge one size or one onesie and uh, it's incredible i've been it, it can't like be one size fits all life. it can't work that way that would be a shocking no, that would be no, unstable no, molecules no i got the large slash extra large version and um it's a little big on me i'm like swimming in it i'm i'm a little over six foot one and it's still like the sleeves are over my hands and hashtag hype the, wreck Yep. Oh, yeah. I do mention that on every episode, don't I? Yeah, yeah. Zach, Zach loves to tell us that he is over six feet tall. Congratulations. Yes. Job well Thank done. Thank Those you. of us under six feet, technically, on a technicality. Oh, are, are, you, are you shorter than me? I didn't, I didn't remember that when I met you. <laughs> I'm shorter in stature, but I'm larger in all the ways that matter. In I morals. Think we can all agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm bigger in ethics, I yeah. would say. Yeah, I, I mean, just do you remember? It was about a year ago, actually. Like last week we met uh, when I came to Chicago and I gave yes. you a hug goodbye and you probably were like, oh, wow, what an affectionate guy. No, I was just sizing you up. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, what an affectionate <laughs> armpit. This is this sure is nice. <laughs> um, I, just, I really wanted to, to clearly get an idea of how much taller I was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, yeah. I grabbed you very tightly because I wanted you to get an idea of how much stronger than you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, the weirdest hug. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot going on in that hug. Yeah. In a desperate, desperate attempt to Like an to anime mind game other. of like slow motion, like <laughs> thought, our, our thoughts as we go in for this hug. Both of us like grunting and sweating monologue. anime style. <laughs> Amazing. Right. So that's how yeah. we hug. Uh, but you are listening to My Marvel This Year and how we podcast is we go through Marvel Comics history from its origins to today. We're going year by year through the iconic stories, the legendary stories of Marvel. And today we're starting the year of 1988. So if you want to read along with us, you can do so via the comics listed in the show notes. You can also access all the comics that we're talking about via a convenient spreadsheet that is updated with every episode with new issues as they may be applicable. You can get that over at patreon.com slash year by supporting us for as little as $1 a month in addition to other cool Uh, benefits associated with other tiers the other thing we would ask of you if you are listening and enjoy Mar marvelous year is uh consider rating and reviewing us on itunes it helps us out a tremendous deal and we were just talking about some new ratings uh, beforehand which we will try to talk about a little bit more detail in the variant covers uh there's Mm -hmm. some good stuff in there so keep up the creative reviews we're loving it and uh they definitely make us smile so all right my marvelous year 1988 zach do you have anything you want to talk about before we jump into black panther Number one no, no, let's let's go for. Oh, oh, I do actually. Um, so we're gonna talk about Black Panther. It is drawn by Dennis Cowlin. Did you figure out how to say his name? Cowan, Noel. Cowan. Okay, 
Dennis Cowan. Is it Dennis? Just Dennis? Uh, that's that's what I think, yeah. Okay. Um, who Who's a, a black artist here who, like, goes on to, what, for Milestone Comics? Big, He's one big of the deal. founders, one of the, the leaders of Milestone Media, which is fantastic. Still has a role there and is bringing it back with DC in, uh, in this year, in 2020 and, and forward. Yep. So excited to see that come back. Did you know, and I we to- I think we totally missed this, at least we didn't talk about it, um, I didn't know this, that back in the Jungle Action days, the yeah. uh, Billy Graham was a black artist as well. Did you know that? We did not talk about that. I did not know that until know uh, that you until, shared it with me yeah. recently, and we missed that. That's an important uh, historic milestone in Marvel, and given how much yeah. we love Rage of the Panther and Billy Graham's work, that is something uh, definitely worth highlighting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially like in the 70s. I mean, that that is way rarer in the 70s than even, you know, in the, in the 80s it's starting to become like, you know, we've got um, Christopher Priest before he was Christopher Priest. You know, there, there's a few more like black artists and writers working at Marvel. It's, you know, well, black men at least. We're not going to get black women for another 30 plus years <laughs> in Marvel. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I just thought that was a big oversight by us. Um, and he did some other really cool stuff. He did a bunch of covers of... Um, Luke Cage apparently did a um, another thing with Billy Graham, this independent comic called Saber that I really want to check out. It was like one of the first. With Don McGregor, uh, you mean? Yeah. N- yes. Yeah, what did I say? With Billy you Graham. You said with Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like. Should make it I solo. Podcast I, I would actually like Zach it. Dean. Yeah, yeah. I would I would enjoy it if a creator was like doing it, the interview circuit and he was like, yeah, I wrote this. And then, I, you know, the art on it was by and then they just like said their own name like there was somebody else. I feel like that'd be a cool gimmick. <laughs> To like talk about all your different roles, but yeah, no, Billy Graham definitely deserves a shout out for that. Um, we are seeing a, a small amount more representation here on the creative circuit, which is good. We're gonna see Dwayne McDuffie uh, come into the scene in uh, the upcoming year in '89. But yeah, today mm-hmm. Dennis Cowan uh, definitely a major influence. He worked with on the question with Danny O'Neill is probably his biggest um impact during this era or biggest legacy i think as far as comics you may have heard of that one definitely has gotten a lot of attention and reappraisal after the unfortunate passing of denny o'neill uh somewhat recently i think was that man was that this Two year years ago yeah yeah i, I Definitely lost all track of time on that one. So, uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about um, his work here on Black Panther. It's a four-issue miniseries. It's written by Peter oh, no, Gillis. It was like four months ago. I don't, he died. That's why I said, yeah, this it, year. it was this year. But For it feels like it, it feels like it's forever ago, right? That's the that's yeah. the twenty twenty thing. Is everything that happened two weeks ago feels like it was you know eight years ago? Um, but yeah, this is Peter Gillis and Dennis Cowan. And Peter Gillis is a, a creator we have not really seen much of yet. Um, he writes uh, some interesting stuff for Marvel during this time that all kind of flies under the radar. Uh, including Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, the kickoff to that series relaunch, which is interesting. I would say the Strange heads out there. We're not going to cover much, if any, of it. I think in the My Marvel This Year Club. But again, if, like if you've been a big Doctor Strange fan, I find that run pretty interesting, uh, and it's worth checking out there. But this is probably the a biggest of, work from uh, Gillis that I know. A bunch of Defenders too, because the um, Marvel Limited just added like twelve issues of Defenders this week, and I went and just took a peek at them, and he's the uh, the writer on those. Well, and they are they are adding things that we talk about on My Marvel This Year, right? As we yes. like to point out, Marvel Unlimited does follow what we cover here on My Marvel This Year, and then they add issues accordingly so that we can fill out our spreadsheets. It truly um, is the, the tail wagging the dog here. Right, and we're the yeah. dog, right? We're the big dog. I think everyone um, can agree. The biggest dog. That's, agree with okay. me, please? Yep. Somebody? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, I got it. <laughs> so Black Panther one to four. This is this is a really interesting book, Zach. Um, so we got art by Dennis Cowan and Sam De La Rosa. I should call out. So mm-hmm. this four issue mini. It is it's it's almost like a spiritual sequel to Rage of the Panther. I think in that it's very deliberately tackling political and socioeconomic issues of Wakanda of T'Challa as king. Um, before we get into the details, I do also just want to call out like again, this comic was released literally as I was born mm-hmm. like it was going into shops as I was born and I'm not a super young guy listen like I'm not like I did throw my back out yesterday and I can't explain why you know so like that's the thing is like Ugh, I'm in that yeah. position where if I, I have inexplicable back pain it's excruciating and I have no idea why I'm not that young right I'm not that young Zach politics mm-hmm. have been in comics for literally as long as I've been born actually so much longer right so just just let's get that out of the way up front Look at how politics heavy this book is. Anybody, I mean, anybody who thinks this was not a part of Marvel Comics history, you're wrong. You're wrong. You were not reading enough comics. All right? I just got to get that part out of the way. It's crazy to keep hearing that. Uh, I mean, are we even going to call it like 
a Zan or whatever, the Azanians or something. I think I'm just going to say South Africa. It's it's about just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the story of South African apartheid. They'd use a fictional Azania, which is a neighbor to Wakanda. And the, the premise of the series is we're looking at T'Challa and Wakanda's approach to racial um unrest and racial racial struggles against apartheid in this fictional Azania. But again, like you're saying, it's very clearly the stand-in for what was happening in South Africa during mm-hmm. this time period. Um, and the, the thing that makes this comic, I suppose, a little different is that T'Challa, as, as that unfolds in these four issues, T'Challa mm-hmm. loses his connection to the panther god, to the spirit that makes him Black Panther, essentially. So simultaneously, as he's trying to lead this nation and figure out apartheid, small, no small thing, right, politically, to, mm-hmm. to figure out, yeah. okay, how do you tackle that? He is also losing the respect of Wakanda, who's like, oh, the panther god has turned its back on you for some reason. You are no longer really our Black Panther. So it's a kind of a double whammy on that front. I don't know that this book is perfect. Definitely, it's more interesting to me yeah. politically and message-wise than it is like a really captivating read. Um, I think like whereas Rage of the Panther is just like extremely engrossing artistically, Ooh, it's, it's on another level. That needle, yeah, of like yeah. action adventure. You know, like it's got that you know like teenage excitement of just like wrestling an alligator. <laughs> And you know, fighting right, a white right. ape with its own with the, with bones or whatever, and then also having a lot more to say, right? Like it, it is not a empty headed comic. It's a nice blend of all those things. Yeah. I would say uh, Black Panther the Mini in '88. It's not really a blend. I mean, it's really just kind of like we just want to talk about what we have to say or about how Black Panther might handle apartheid. You know, which yeah. is which is fair. Like if you want to, okay, you're tackling a very serious issue. Tackle the issue by all means. Um, and they kind of try to do that here, but it definitely loses, as a read, it loses, like, some of the the things that make comics uh, super engaging, you know, or superhero comics especially, I thought. So what what did you make of this four-issue mini as a whole? I think, you know, I will say, too, like, Dennis Cowan, super important figure. Um, again, like, his role in Milestone, not to be discounted. Major, major, uh, you know, black artist in the history of comics. Mm-hmm. I don't love his art in this book. I I. Oh, I, I... I, especially with, the way he draws exception. T'Challa's eyes. Yes, exactly. I was going to say, with the, with the one exception of him trying to make T'Challa look literally cat-like, like yeah. in his facial features, which is what he's doing. He's just trying. I to thought it him, was like, with so much more purpose than it wound up being. I thought it was like T'Challa was possessed, um, or there was some deliberate, like, oh, it's the Panther it's God coming through uncanny. him. It's just yeah. his eyes, and it's really weird. And and when he's in the um, the Black Panther cowl, he actually has those like. He's got kind of the like cat jaw, like upper lip. That I don't know how to describe it, but the like he he he's it, it's not a, a human shaped face. It's got a little yeah. bit of a cat thing to it. Um, I I think I quite like his art. I think it's like okay, good. I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I like the way he draws everything except T'Challa specifically. I like the way he draws people. I think there's like an anger and an energy to it, and uh, and it feels very like I don't know. It feels it feels like it's moving. It feels like there's a, a violence to it that works. Sure. Um, I really like the coloring, which we should call out as just a second. I'll pull that up. Um, Bob Sharon, great job coloring, especially with all the black skin here. Very good job with this. It looks like at the time, you know, it's just so hard to, to get that right. Or I don't know if it's that hard to get it right, but it is something that has evaded uh, Marvel Comics often, so he's doing a great job with that here. Well, and even now, we keep seeing this come up in in the discourse around Marvel Comics, where like a character like Storm is the example that happens most frequently in 2020, gets colored very light. Gets yeah, colored sure, uh, like very, a tan, very yeah. different than the way she was you know, originally colored, and her yeah. character should. So I, I think, yeah, this book does a nice job with that, right? Dealing so, with two nations that are in Africa. So I, I found the, the story of this engaging, and I think it's a well-written story. I mean, I, I don't think it's Panther Rage level, but I, I don't know. And this doesn't mean that it's a bad story. I just found the—this is so outside of my wheelhouse, <laughs> you know, like getting into a South African apartheid-era politics, the nitty-gritty of what it means to be, like, part of the resistance and what it means to fight this. But what's happening is that um, the South African— like freedom fighters are f- violently fighting back against the apartheid state, and sometimes it's literally like the police are rounding up people, innocent villagers, 
to be tortured and like questioned and tortured and people fight back right people hard, fight hard back not to violence. see parallels to current uh protests in america even against sure racial i mean well, unrest or, or and police or any time but you know it's not one to one but yeah no right you can see you can see it across so society. so this, this is happening uh and then you know the the um the police have a stronger you know like a much uh more powerful like they're, they're militarized they have guns right and they've end up killing a lot more of the villagers and the whole thread of this is that T'Challa keeps saying like lay down your guns stop you know killing all of us like basically you're all throwing away your lives senselessly we need to fight back but the way that you're doing it is just getting people killed and that's like the ongoing message throughout this including he fights the panther the, the god of the panther who he's like I worship you with every fiber of my being but you're wrong because the panther spirit is telling him to like fight back strongly well it's and the panther weird... spirit has has taken over someone else and is literally killing uh members of the oppressing class right so right. like exactly. there's there's the appearance that black panther is actually out right. there fighting for the resistance and killing you know i don't police officers or, or judges or whatever just people of influence who are the oppressors essentially and it's actually not t'challa right it's that's yep. like part of the thing is like that's that's the role that you want him to take almost as like mm-hmm. fighting on the side of justice. And actually, yeah, to your point, he's more in the middle. And again, like he is the king and he's the leader of Wakanda. And that's the complexity of this is kind of trying to walk the political line of, listen, like we need to fight for this justice, but we can't do it with violence. And that like that is super relevant, I think, to, to our current conversation. It's relevant. It's I think it's naive and a nice white a removed white liberals idea of how these things work because the idea that like violence against a oppressing police state this authoritarian police state literally i mean it's apartheid it's not even you know like it, it's legal who to, are in, who are instigating the violence here to, more often than to not have a right? lower, they're beating uh, down a, the resistance yeah to have like a second class citizens like if you're black you are literally a second class citizen here to to say that violence is not at least a tool in the toolbox i think is a very like fantasy dreamland version of how this works and i think the whole thing reads as incredibly naive because tatalo keeps saying like lay down your weapons but never stop fighting and it's like well, what do you mean like it, it's the same kind of thing of like Oh, you know, don't get that angry at a police protest. Do a silent candlelight vigil outside the police station. And that will, you know, those people who are, like, saying that that's the solution, right? And it's like, well, yeah, that, I mean, sure, right? But also, that can't be literally the only thing. I, I don't know. There, there's there, there's a the thing here at the end, especially, that, like, really killed me. Where I was like, okay, is he having a conversation with this? Or is he, does it is this comic really as naive as it feels to me? Or is it, like, in conversation with these topics? And at the end, it's revealed that, <clears throat> um, like, T'Challa, this, this spirit was not... Um, it's not T'Challa, right? Like, T'Challa had nothing to do with this. He was not, like, uh, being a rabble-rouser in this other country. Well, and, <laughs> a murderer. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, things, right. But, but like, you know, the leader of this uprising... Comic. Yeah. Give me a second, because I need to read the exact quote, because this is where I, like, so rolled my eyes at this. Okay. These are photographs clearly showing that while the heart of the revolt was raging, the Black Panther was in a warehouse in Paris. Uh, look, here's the Black Panther's Avenger ID card. It's been handed to our contact even as the capital is being attacked. My friends. this uh, So this is the ruling class. This is the white oppressing class in the South African apartheid state. My friends, we simply assumed that our native populace would not revolt without outside communist agitation. What if that's simply not true? And what is worse? What if the next time the Black Panther does take Ant? So the idea that the ruling class sees, like, oh, wow, this is not some, like, outside agitator. It's not the communist agitator starting, stirring this up. And then they come out to the public and say, like, hey, we've been wrong. We need to change things. The idea that, like, the powerful would just give up that kind of, like, power and oppression for no reason at the end is so like neat well the, the reason the the implied reason is the scales have lifted from their eyes and now right, they've seen exactly. the errors of their way which that that piece i think feels especially naive uh that that will not and does not happen um, it, it it is the epitome it feels like the epitome of that martin luther quote of being you know more worried about the white moderate than like the clan member right the person who just keeps reminding you to like no like you need to be peaceful in your protest and so it just has that throughout the whole thing 
that I think sours it a little bit. I still think it's a pretty well-written comic. I enjoyed the comic. I don't think that means it's a bad comic. But I will, I will that, say like, in the defense of, of Gillis and the team regarding T'Challa, um, I don't think it's naivety so much as probably an accurate representation of the complexity of trying to manage that relationship and trying not to go to war, essentially, as the leader of that nation. I mean, that's as, I don't know, it's it's a tricky one to talk about, honestly, but it's like as you, you see these types of issues discussed now in America, you you want the leader who's like, just like yeah like we need to we need to take this into our own hands and revolt and change it but like that's not what leaders do they don't encourage violence on a political scale or 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 they do tactically right like they, in the in the activist tool set there are many many different tools and some of them include political violence and some include you know peaceful protest right and for the idea of like the the outsider to be talking about like let you know someone in American, a white American writer, to be writing about this and to be saying like, "Well, all this violence is just you know, it's just going to get that you must killed, be wrong right? on like, the surface because it's violence." Sure, right? No, there's there's right. a, a definite and, outsider's <clears throat> perspective that that I think misses. Um, but again, it is like, yeah, I mean, it is the fiction of Wakanda dealing with this very real situation, and obviously that yeah. can have problems as we've talked about in the past where it's like okay you're very literally talking about a real thing but you're talking about it with fictional tools and while that gives us many good stories it can also mean you miss important details sure especially <laughs> Which, when it is such a one-to-one analogy here where like oh yeah there's no it question. is it, it's south africa there's literally nothing fantasy about it like it, it is one-to-one and it's during the time in which like you know, apartheid in South Africa was on everybody's mind. So. Well, and not only um, not only is it on everybody's mind, but like in the issue, I mean, in, in case there's any doubt <laughs> about like the the oppressing class being um, something other than you know like the white supremacist majority, the the squad that this team that minority, this, by the way, just sorry, the, it is a minority of in white. reality, <laughs> right? Which yeah. is which yeah. is wild um the the team that they come up with to defend themselves is called the supremacists <laughs> they are a bunch of white guys and it's like they're what like white uh supremacist avengers what, one of them is, is literally called um oh I, I can't remember what one of them has the name of the dutch people who uh just a second let me let me look at uh Vor, vortrekker which is the name of like the dutch colonists who initially came in and like colonize the south african states so like it's not even hiding it yeah no no it's it's ham-fisted yeah. as they come um i honestly i kind of Which is appreciate how I, ham-fisted yeah. it is because I it's don't... like yeah this is what we're facing this is deliberate i do have to call out there's one of these guys who is wearing like the zatanna thigh highs with um like little like bondage straps from his hips to the boots and it is a very unique fashion choice for a man. I don't think I, I think I, it's like the sort of thing you might see in like the Hellfire Club. But this dude is just rocking it, and, uh, and oh, good for is, him. Aside from being a terrible, yeah. terrible racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think uh, you know, I think it just like misses on its political conversation. I mean, maybe if you read this and you're like, no, I think they're there's a bit more of a conversation happening here and it's not coming yeah, down I, on I one side. I don't think it misses I, as strongly as you do because again, like I'm, I'm very, very listening to what you're saying. Like, I don't want to discount what you're saying in terms of the, how you're, you're interpreting this yourself. I, I think it's having the conversation about what was going on in 88. I think you're right. As far as the perspective of the creators, right? Like they're, it's a, probably a white liberal dude yeah, writing which, it from America. Not, not to say that it's like, yeah, I, 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 I'm never of the position that, like, this is not your story to tell, right? Like, I, I don't really believe that. I don't think that's the case. I think we should have a more diverse range of voices. And the problem is just that, like, you know, white men voices are so amplified everywhere in comics and literally all kinds of media. But I, I don't think that, like, oh, this is off topic, right? I, I never think that. Like, I don't think anything should be off topic. I think just think the playing field should be opened up to more voices. But, I do like, think it's confused um, as far as I, I do think they're a bit confused as far as what they actually mean for T'Challa in this story. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely don't. I, I mean, don't really know what, what it means to have him be, have been separated from the Panther God. Like it, it kind of. I kind of read it like, you know, he is not fulfilling his duties in protecting black people in this comic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how intentional that is, though, right? Because it's like he won't. 
he he won't take the side of the resistance until he does, until he's pushed to and literally imprisoned, you know? And then it's like the oh. Panther God having left him, there's this weird thing of like he's he's been abandoned by the spirit of Wakanda because of his I don't know, complicit actions. I I, I think it's, it's a little it's, more it's, confused than I than I, I understand. I think so too. Because he gets in front of the TV cameras and he says, you know, basically like resistance fighters put down your weapons but never keep you know always keep fighting which i don't know what that means and then he immediately turns and starts beating up gar <laughs> right like with violence himself personally well, I even think though the, he's telling everybody right. else to st- well he's you know. he's like faking kind of at that point because he's been uh no, coerced into no no because remember he before says he's like coerced no no he says even like you know, they make him get in front of the cameras and then he's just like, no, this is what I believe anyway. I'll just say it. Like, I agree with you. Like, we shouldn't be fighting back with violence because it's just Yeah, but getting... then he literally fights his way out. <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. So, so I, I, I think I think I gave it a lot more credit until that literal end scene where the, like, the government was like, oh, wow, look, the people really do want this. It's not, you know, they're just not being confused by a communist, which is the oldest yeah. trick in the book of, I mean how many people call Black Lives Matter a Marxist organization right now to totally dismiss it, right? Like, mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. a very, very old tactic to just be like, oh, protests? Communist agitators. Or, or right? it's paid and for, for them to... by some outside party and it's not legitimate. I mean, that's what Sure, thing, whatever. Right? All, all these it's... things to delegitimize it. Yeah. You know, but for them to be like, oh, wow, it's, it is a legitimate grievance. All right, I guess we're going to listen now. Like, is that is the most, like mind-blowing yeah. <laughs> you know naive idea that's pretty um, bad that, i i don't think the rest won. of it is quite that yeah. bad um but no, at I, the same time i it's, it's not weird. Like, i like it more than you i guess though yeah like, no, overall it, I, I enjoyed it more than you but it's yeah. I, honestly you know what it makes it makes me more interested in learning about the history uh, the history of south america and the apartheid than it does in like ever reading this story again like yeah. like it it cues up my cur- which is maybe the point actually maybe the point is like educate yourself learn a little bit more about what's happening here as opposed to like hey have a fun time reading a black panther comic because that's sure. not really with us no yeah um so i i was surprised to see this on the list period because i didn't know there was that much black panther is there any more black panther between now and priest run in like 98 yeah, so I added it for this uh, for this year. It's a it's yeah. a new addition to the My Marvelous Year Club reading list. I added it because uh, two things. One, few things actually, um, but like because of how big Black Panther is now, because of the fact that we love Rage of the Panther so much, and because mm-hmm. yeah, like there is this this enormous gap in mm-hmm. Black Panther storytelling. Um, there is actually some interesting Don McGregor stuff that he does again with a character in what like Marvel premiere or something like that, which I need to check out. I haven't actually read those. So like there's small little things, small little one-offs here and there. There's not a straight up black Panther ongoing again. I, is it until 98? Is it really that long? I think it is. Um, off the top of my head, you know? So it's not, I mean, it's not like T'Challa's ever going anywhere. Is it, he's integrated into the Marvel Universe. But uh, Black Panther doesn't really become a mainstay until 98, until Marvel Knights, and then there's a Black Panther ongoing all the time, as there should be. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> you know, he's in, like, I'm, I'm looking here. He's I guess there's, like, 30 episodes, or 30 episodes, <clears throat> 25 issues of, like, Marvel Comics Presents in 1989, um, Black Panther's Panther's, Panther's Prey in 1991 is a little four issue mini, and then and those are all like... getting. I was actually just going through the collections for uh, for Comic Book Herald, looking at like upcoming reviews. Those are all getting collected in Epic collections. So oh, it, in the early parts of 2021. So I expect that'll also mean they get it added to Marvel Unlimited around mm-hmm. that time there. So like early 2021, we should get a nicer filled out array of Black Panther comics around this time. Which hey, when we do my marvelous year round two can get added to the list as we go back through every year. No, that's never happening. God, I, I just actually that's had that. Never happening. I had that thought today. <laughs> Think about this. All right, here, I'm pitching you on a new podcast. Uh-huh. We finished My Marvelous Year. Uh-huh. Instead of doing the natural... Sounds, sounds great, Zach. It's been a wonderful right. time. <laughs> Instead of the obvious idea of just moving into My DC Year, how about this? My Marvelous Year 2. This time we go back through, but we don't read... We don't read any of the same comics. We just write new lists from the same year using, like, all these comics that we missed and fill mm. it in. Mm. Like, that sounds um, horrible. <laughs> that sounds so bad. And then like, we that sounds fun as a... 25 issues from each year until we get them all. Over it sounds fun to me from a what-would-you-pick perspective, I think, sounds mm-hmm. a little entertaining. From an actually sitting down and reading them perspective, no thank you. Sure. Uh, because yeah, well, that would mean we're reading all... Of... Part for me. Well, it is, but it's also like... Um, I picked all the best ones. Now, did I potentially miss stuff? No, but in theory, if I had... 
<laughs> you yes, know, absolutely. there might be some good stuff, but it wouldn't be a majority, right? It'd be a majority of mediocre and then the occasional yeah. hidden gem. So, yeah, yes. Yeah. It is okay. a fun yeah. idea. It is it is fun to consider. Um, speaking of fun to consider, let's talk about some Daredevil comics. Uh, so, Daredevil, we are coming out of the wake of mm-hmm. Frank Miller on yep. Daredevil Born Again. Big story. Big story in the Marvel canon. Obviously, Miller's run has an enormous impact. And now we are moving into a new run with a new creator. And it's Anne Nesenti and John Romita Jr. Now, Anne Nesenti, is, uh, she was an editor at Marvel. She edited Uncanny X-Men from 84 through this year, through 88. And she's mm-hmm. written many comics uh, on her own all the way through present day, including what is a, a still super underrated and under-discussed entry in the Daredevil canon, a really long run on Daredevil with John Romita Jr. Yeah. And a little news for you, if you haven't heard, we are going to have Anne on in two episodes' time. It's going to be the yep. variant cover. It's going to be My Marvelous Year number 100. We're talking to Anna Senti. We're going to interview her about her time at Marvel, including uh, work like this on Daredevil. So that is, uh, that's a big deal for us. It's our first Marvel creator interview, and it's our 100th episode dropping. So keep your mm-hmm. eyes and ears peeled for that one. Yeah, it was it was really fun talking to her. She's like got a wild perspective on Marvel Comics, and it was very fun like picking her brain about some of this. Literally, some of it was just like, it's the stuff that I would want to ask literally any Marvel Comics uh, worker from this yeah. time of just like, hey, how, how does the office work? Like, where do you, yeah, where right. do you, where do you have comics there? Like stuff like that. <laughs> but then also like her, she has a really unique perspective on stuff and she was a ton of fun to have on. So yeah. So with that, um, so she starts her run uh, actually much before this. And it is very frustrating because Marvel Unlimited is missing significant chunks of her run which is to me is wild. Like you, I think you mentioned to me that one of the issues that is missing is like a key core Daredevil issue, like referenced in the TV show, right? Isn't that? Yeah, correct? I think it's two ninety, which is yeah. a Daredevil versus Bullseye comic that is very well regarded is missing. And yeah, I mean, like chunks of her run are missing. It's again, it's that thing of like nobody disrespects good daredevil runs like marvel disrespects uh innocenti and john Romita jr like it's less mm-hmm. collected it's less digitized and it's just slow getting it up there so i don't often call out the holes in marvel limited because they've done yeah, a they- really good job and they've done a greater job uh of the last couple of years than they ever very have rarely in terms of <clears throat> very games. rarely do you go looking for a notable issue and it's not there like, yeah, I'll, I'll give I'll give him that. That's very like you're like oh this run that's like pretty well known. Oh, it, it's there. It's all there, right? So that that's right. So you know when you go looking for like the def- late era defenders, defenders one twenty or something. Which hey, did you know that defenders was running until like nineteen eighty six? Yeah, defenders like, is a is definite blind spot, and I just, uh, it always fascinates me like the direction I, I, it takes. I just found out that it ran for like a hundred and forty issues or something like that. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, that that's a bummer. I you know I basically had to go pirate a few issues of hers because I wanted to run read the whole thing, um, and then jump back in when they started coming in. Had to do Marvel it. Unlimited. Couldn't uh, couldn't contact a local comic shop and say, hey, you got any back issues? Had to be done. Oh, I wasn't gonna go buy physical. Co- what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm te- that's insane. Oh, oh, it's 2020. Oh, come on. I'm teasing, but also you monster. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and oh, you no, know, yeah, it's sorry. it's weird sorry. that Anne's run isn't isn't fully collected. I mean, truly, like yeah. it's this should be in Marvel Unlimited. So. Uh, so yeah, proper shame having been cast, we are mm-hmm. able to read issues 254 to 257 and then 259 to 260, which are included per Zach's insistence and correctly. So this is mm-hmm. the, uh, initial typhoid Mary saga between Anne and John Romita Jr. as creators. Um, listen, I don't like these as much as the Frank Miller Daredevil. Okay. Let's get that out of the way first. Sure, it's the, it's the follow up like and it wasn't, it wasn't going to be as good and it wasn't going to try to be as good. Exactly. Yeah. Because like that is, I think literally the highest ranked Marvel run from this era that I have of anything, uh, of any mm-hmm. comic. Okay. Yeah, the only thing probably that I'm more obsessed with is like Claremont's X-Men, but I wouldn't say it's objectively better. I just am mm-hmm. more obsessed with all the lore and the world building. Okay. Sure. So that said, Ann and JR, they come in and they're like, yeah, we're just going to do our own thing with Daredevil. And it's a really interesting approach. Um, and to your point, you know, it begins uh, probably, I think the first thing she does is like 237. And then she picks mm-hmm. up again after jumping to the 240s. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's 242, 243, somewhere in there before the run really kicks off. And what Anna Senti does as a creator is she really focuses on, so it's post-born again, Matt Murdock, 
post uh, having been disbarred, Matt Murdock, and she really concentrates on like New York as a place, on supporting characters and just like people in Matt's lives, really giving them mm-hmm. the spotlight. And one thing I said to her in her interview is like Daredevil often feels like a bit player or almost like a cameo like there's a main story about something else happening and then daredevil shows up in cameo now these typhoid mary stories don't necessarily reflect that but it's an interesting approach to the run where just there's a lot more spotlight given to a lot more characters and i think that really works for matt murdoch and it helps build out this world we get a lot of good kingpin we get karen page we get the law uh practice and then we get this new character typhoid mary who is complicated i will say i don't know that 2020 lens typhoid mary is certainly not perfect uh but is an interesting creation and has uh some sticking power some staying power and definitely propels these comics to keep them compelling i would say i think i think so the first first off i think actually nascenti and ramita here pick up the like the mantle of the miller jansen stuff or uh who did the second part met metzikelli david metzikelli yeah yeah he did the born again stuff um I think she specifically in the writing really picks up what he did, does not try to just like replicate it, but it does feel like the natural, like carrying on point. This does not feel like a brand new Daredevil. Like it doesn't feel totally splintering from that. Well, it's it like Daredevil Born Again happened. Like, now, how do you follow right. that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So she really, I, I think she's following in his footsteps, but not in a way that she's just trying to ape him because like, especially that. Like, Definitely not. Definitely. I don't know that darkness that people that, that's like one of the biggest problems is people read Frank Miller's writing and they think that it's all about just being like violent and nasty serious and they, violent men and nor stylings yeah and and they kind of don't get the like that you need to be inside their heads and like to make that work and, and almost be like damning them at the same time uh, which she kind of gets. Well, and, so, and in the original, almost have a sense of humor, too. Not almost. Oh, have a, for sure. A sense of humor, yeah. You know? and, and I think that was actually a big part of Miller's run is that, like, focused on all these bit characters. Like, very often, the main character of any one issue would be, like, this is Foggy Nelson's guts issue. This is, um, what's the reporter's name? Ben, uh, Ben Urich, right. Ben Urich's issue, right? This is Kingpin's issue. Right. She focuses on those people a lot. Not Ben Urich, but, like, Kingpin and Foggy and Karen Page are big parts here. Um, so I guess I guess I do want to talk about Typhoid Mary. There, I have two thoughts about Typhoid Mary. Yes, okay. I think she is problematic. I think she kind of has this, you know, like uh, the split personality. Kind of has this like one is a crazy oversexed like sex fiend, and the other is this demure, prim and proper like you know, I don't know, jet lady. Right. She's Jekyll um, and Hyde, but due to psychology and mental illness rather than like a drug. Sure, and the, you know, but it also just plays into that, like, bad girls are sluts, good girls are, you know, like... A word that gets used suits. a lot here. Right. Yes. You know, and the, so that is all true. And that's true. And we even asked Nascenti, and her rationale, I, oh my god, I loved it, was she was just like, yeah, I wanted, like, Matt loves crazy girls, and, like, I wanted him to date a crazy girl, something like yeah. that, like, which I think is really funny. Um so I, I think that that's a totally legitimate criticism. At the same time, I think Typhoid Mary rules, and she is, like, so compelling, and I was yeah. just, like, so fixated on her through this whole thing. I was very into this character. She's a very captivating um, character, right? And, like, she yeah. becomes the the new Kingpin's right hand in the yep. Kingpin's new assassin, kind of the way Kingpin has u- tried to utilize Elektra, has utilized Bullseye, and other famous, you know, Daredevil rogues. But Typhoid Mary is interesting because she frequently says... I'm the one in charge of the kingpin and means it. And it's really interesting to see that play out. The other thing that, so Typhoid Mary has them all the time. Yeah. It loves smooching kingpin. Um, and, and so she's got a split personality, I guess. Again, there's probably actual proper terminology here, but she's got a split personality where her demure side is Mary, who is like a very nice demure young girl who tries to, um, like fall like she can like convince matt to fall in love with her right and then typhoid mary is uh you know just straight up supervillain she's like all sex all violence all libido right she's kind of like the whole version no it's jean marie or jean jean marie boubier from alpha flight okay actually almost like literally that where like one is the wild bad girl and the other's a literal nun <laughs> you know, right, like, right. And the wild bad girl, she has uh, some psychic abilities. You know, she can kind yeah, of read she's minds. Like, I, I think she's just she a can uh, create fire mutant. out of her out of her mind as well. I love I love this so much. She I is think a mutant, is, isn't she? Isn't she that, is. is that right? She is yeah. technically. I don't think that's good, gets revealed here. But if you 
you know, look at her Wikipedia page. Yeah. I love the fire thing because it's really not useful here and you almost don't notice it happening. So she's just tussling with Matt and like, and you know, the way that John Romita is drawing it is it's like, it's half fight, half foreplay, right? They're like, yeah. It, it, and Mary is, you know, trying to like, it is literally like, you know, on top of him trying to kiss him. And while this is happening, you just see like slow, like flames in the background and flames start going everywhere. And Matt is sweating and she is just like giving off heat <laughs> the whole time. Right. And he does such a cool job visualizing this. I mean, that's, her skin what, that's is what it's like constantly... to kiss me, except I'm just really hot and sweaty. Like there's no actual <laughs> fire, but boy, am I right. giving off a lot of heat. So that, I think that's such a fun touch to be like, you know, this, this woman who drives men mad is literally like the 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 environment around you while you're fighting is lighting on fire Sets as you're your getting soul confused it, right you're the daredevil's getting like sweaty and confused and he doesn't understand what changes are happening to his body yeah um, and uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is the daredevil i definitely prefer uh puberty yeah. daredevil yeah so it's I, I like typhoid as an antagonist i mean truly like she drives these issues she makes this this story compelling again it's like the love angle isn't interesting, but it does create drama and, and tension and conflict for Matt because he's also now in this recommitted relationship with Karen Page, and Typhoid is kind of doing the Kingpin's thing of like, yeah, we're going to strike him where it's hurts, where it hurts, we're going to tear out his heart. You know, we're going to mess mm-hmm. with his relationship. We're not just going to beat him up. That's too easy. Um, there's also like Kingpin stuff going on in the background here. He's still very much a player. He is. It's this is an interesting Kingpin because he thought he won so convincingly in born again but didn't mm-hmm. like yep. he's just so mad and so like at at a loss as to how to actually beat daredevil like he's basically playing back all the same hits like he's kind of just he doesn't know what to do he's just kind of spinning in circles trying the same stuff with daredevil you know what i mean mm-hmm. like and it, it's part of why i think when mary shows up and she's like i'm running you to kingpin it actually feels legitimate because kingpin is just like kind of a violent mess not really knowing how does he actually defeat daredevil because he did his best plan and it didn't work you know what i mean so he's kind of running yeah. it back again yeah and, and mary is getting in his head his head just as much like she just shows up in his office and starts like lifting weights and he's just like what are you doing you need to get out to you know take care of matt or daredevil and she's just like oh, don't worry about it just give me a kiss i'm in charge here like yeah and he doesn't you know he's like definitely on his back foot the whole time with her um and, and this i, I mean I, I also like that she carries through the um the idea that matt's kind of a jerk right like he's cheating on karen page here for no reason except that he's just kind of like horned up over this new woman who's like inexplicably like hot to him <laughs> and he's yeah, just like right. tied up in her and karen and him are like having a great relationship until he just goes off and like cheats on her and i don't um, remember if it's in these issues or not but there's a there's a young boy who is just blinded in the yeah that's run. the beginning of this yeah okay and uh and he's so matt takes him under his wing because obviously he understands and he's he, at one point he's kind of trying to train him like stick and it's like matt he doesn't have your powers <laughs> like this isn't this is not going to work um to cut, but to, cut to matt in the hospital room like a nurse walks into the room and Daredevil's just pouring like nuclear isotopes on this boy's face. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. It's like, dude, stop torturing this poor kid. Um, but he, they're like taking this kid around, and Mary is in her non-typhoid guys is like kind of helping care for him. But then they'll just like start making out and maybe more like with the kid there, and he's like, "Hey, hey guys, anybody there? Anybody oh, the around?" Kid, the this kid's, kid's like four feet away. Be, the kid is like standing at their feet, just being like. Ugh, they don't they think i don't know what they're doing again yeah <laughs> like, yeah it's like yeah. good like matt you are a jerk capital yeah, j yeah. doing that stuff um, i mean but yeah my favorite daredevil is you know half jerk daredevil like, yeah you know. no for sure for sure i think i think it works yeah. well um when we get to issues 259 and 260 there is so typhoid oh, corrals so all of the daredevil rogues that nascenti and jrjr have introduced over the course of the run so these are in issues previous to what we read a lot of these characters now some, I would say, are more worth reading than others. Again, a lot of it's not on Marvel Limited, which sucks. Like, Bushwhacker is a character who you may hear now and again. Um, there's a good issue with Daredevil and Wolverine actually hunting him down uh, from mm. earlier parts of the run. But they all get corralled here by Typhoid as a kind of new Daredevil rogues. And they don't mm-hmm. stick around. You know, this isn't like the Flash's rogues where, like, these are Daredevil's guys now. Um, but in these issues, you know, like, they built him up and they sold him fairly com- uh, compellingly. I think it works. I like it. I think it works great for me because I mean, like these are all at first, like they seem like anonymous weirdos, right? But like, yeah, she gives enough time to them. 
John Romita's art gives them enough like oomph to their designs that they feel like imposing. And she she corrals them in two fifty nine and two sixty is just a like it's a double sized issue of just Matt getting the the tar beat out of him by a series of villains. The typhoid is set loose on him. It's a very compelling fight to me. It's a lot like um, um it's a lot like Amazing Spider Man Annual number one, where it's mm-hmm. just like, all right, let's take totally. turns. But except if Spider Man lost every fight, <laughs> that's what <laughs> literally I like doing. every fight leaves him worse off and like hallucinating yeah. more. Yeah, because you know he thinks he's fighting Bullseye, Gladiator at some point. Uh, Electra shows up, um, and they're fighting in the middle of like a nuclear uh, disarmament protest, <laughs> like a protest parade. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. Uh, we should we should call it John Romita Jr.'s art here. We have read some stuff by him before. I have not been impressed. I haven't been not impressed, but I'm not impressed either. I'm kind of just like, oh, I don't know why people know this guy. Like, this art is totally fine, stock standard, what we have seen so far. And even what I've seen in the future from, like, the 2000s, I guess, of him, I've been like, yeah, this is fine. I don't know what the big deal is. I get it now. Like, this is great. He reminds me of... I I don't think, like, his individual panels are, like, beautiful. I don't think he's, like, you know, he he draws beautiful drawings. He kind of reminds me of Ditko in that way, where he just has that, like, fluidity and energy to it. It's a little scratchy, Hmm. but it just, like, it really works as character designs rule. Um... Like, Typhoid looks so cool here. Typhoid Mary yeah. looks great. And her movement, I think, is, like, really sold here. And, uh, yeah, I think Ditko, I kept, like, coming, uh, Ditko kept coming to mind. While I, was I think JRJR, too, like, I think he does <clears throat> cool and kinetic over sexy with Typhoid mm-hmm. Mary a lot of times. Like, it's not an uber-sexualized version of the character, despite but she comes that across being a core component of her. Se- sexy. I, I, but you it's, know what? it's, it's more f- character-based than it is visually, which I think is very yeah. effective. Um, yep. I, I do think John, like, I like this work, too. I like it better than his X-Men stuff. I would say, because we've seen him on Uncanny with Claremont a bit. Um, I think the things he does most memorably in this era are uh, hair. <laughs> like, his, oh, you, you so know John Romita hair. hair the second you yeah. see it. Like, it's yeah, it's all just like, it's almost like they're like pine cones or something. It's all just standing, yep. <laughs> these long lines straight on end. Um, and then the other things, he does demons fairly well. And his demons and hair, frankly, overlap <laughs> like in uh, in some meaningful ways. So we'll, is that we'll who, maybe is that see who that. Aunt Nascenti was talking about? She kept talking about, like, someone drew Mephisto in that it's it's john Romita jr yeah okay all right yeah and then she was like well we had to do a a whole mephisto run because of how great he drew mephisto something yeah that's a comment which i I have not read yet so yeah um so yeah it's good it's good stuff i think this run is again like it is overshadowed by the famous uh let's let's say it the famous men who have written daredevil and uh it shouldn't be so overlooked this i mean this this would be in my like very um What's the word? Very uh, picky, like omnibus buying. Like I've bought omnibuses for Daredevil. It's both, a problem. Both. There's no omnibus. I would say I mean, I've that's, gotten the that's omnibuses for Frank Miller's Daredevil and the Jim Starlin collection. Like all the stuff he's done. I think that's all I've bought from this era. Because um, it's long enough to warrant that. I mean, I think this run goes through again. It's like into the two nineties. Like three. Yeah, it's something like three and a half years, something like that. Forty yeah. issues, which is plenty yeah. big enough. I I would totally buy plenty. this collection. I think this. This is great, uh, and uh, for it to not even—it's collected in epic collections, like the paperbacks. Some of it. I don't even like, know if all of it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Typhoid Mary stuff for sure. But for the whole thing not to be collected, and especially for it not to be on Marvel Limited, stinks. Because I think it's real good. Like I really stinks. This. Yep. So. Hot takes coming here first, Marvel. Speaking speaking of hair. Speaking of oh, hair. Oh, I thought you were gonna say speaking Inc- of stinks. I was nervous. Speaking of hair. Yeah. Incredible Hulk. Todd McFarlane. McFarlane. Eric Larson. No, Todd McFarley. Every- underrated comedian Todd McLarson big big <laughs> hair did you notice all the hair here such 80s hair everybody Wolverine Rogue has these, yeah they just have these huge huge perms it's we incredible. definitely missed out on Todd McFarlane's X-Men I, I gotta say man would I enjoy like a seven loved, issue run on X-Men I mean like Rogue basically has the same hair as Wolverine here like she yeah. just has the same like huge spikes of hair Rick Jones has the biggest quaff like it's almost like <laughs> a pompadour cool. yeah oh, it's it's amazing yeah so I, yeah I so love... we're back in the peter david todd mcfarlane run no that's all i have incredible to say hulk. yeah no i i know i'm just gonna finish it up i'm just gonna finish <laughs> okay. up the episode right. uh so yeah we're back in this this creative run um mcfarlane this will mark our the end essentially of our time reading him on incredible hulk before he moves to the pages of amazing spider-man which we are also going to read uh, some big issues of this year including number 300 but yeah the david and mcfarlane team they're in full swing and i like this year an awful lot from them um i jump around as far as the issues that are included officially on the list we have 340 mm-hmm. 
343 to 345, 347 to 348. If you're digging it, just read the whole year. Again, like it's a pretty special year in Hulk. Yeah. Uh, 340 is kind of a standalone thing. It's It's got one of the most iconic covers, maybe of all time. Mm-hmm. It's Wolverine, claws up in the air, Hulk scene, gray Hulk scene in the reflection. And then the issue, it's... Yeah, it's a build-up to a Hulk versus Wolverine fight, except it's not exactly that. It's excellent. I, I love issue 340. It is like, it is the better version of the Hulk versus Wolverine fight that introduced Wolverine to us as readers back in the 70s. Uh, it's extremely well done. Yeah, at first I was actually like halfway through it. I was just like, okay, well, this is a lot of like, this is just basically, oh, let's pit two characters against each other because it's fun, you know? And then it kind of sold itself and it rationalized itself about halfway through with the like with calling back to that original fight and Wolverine being like uh you know I'm not a mindless killing machine I don't need to fight like him walking away and being like I've changed mm-hmm. I'm you know I have self control now and the hulk just you know like throwing a can of soda at the back of his head and <laughs> just being like no <laughs> like fight me I've mm-hmm. changed too I'm not going to let you just like walk off and the two of them just uh duking it out and uh having this like kind of conversation with each other and themselves about like who they are and their, like, you know, knee-jerk reactions to violence, including the end of, is it Quartermain? It's Quartermain who comes out and just, like, scolds the two of them, like, fires a gun and scolds the two of them. Bazooka, really. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, finally, you know, Wolverine's like, I don't want to fight you, whatever, I'm past that now. Hulk goads him into it. They have the brutal knockdown dragout fight. I mean, Wolverine guts him several times. The Hulk gets up and is never actually, like, killed. Uh, Peter David does a pretty good job with those little Watchmen-y types of captions that then lead into an image that, you know, reflects that caption, right? That sort Mm -hmm. of stylistic Mm -hmm. trick. I appreciate that here. But then, yeah, Quartermain, the the S.H.I.E.L.D. guy, the the Hulkbusters guy traveling with Hulk, and Rick Jones jumps out and basically says, like, Wolverine, don't you have better things to do (laughs) than fight the Hulk? And he snaps out of his feral state and is essentially like, yeah, fine, fair point. And, uh, And that's the end of it. I mean, for Hulk's point, he's essentially just mad that all the other heroes have always been picking on the dumb big green version of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. he's like, now I'm now I'm smart, but I'm still going to whoop on you because you all had it easy because I couldn't think back then. So that's, yeah. you know, he's still Angry Hulk essentially, but he's a thinking Angry Hulk. Yeah, and uh, oh man, that panel with both their eyes side by side and then both their fangs side mm-hmm. by side, Wolverine and Hulk's fangs, so cool. I mean, um, McFarlane's art is phenomenal. There's a lot of really good panel layout throughout this run. Uh, is, that yeah. we're going to see like just different again just like stylistic things actually some of which like when we get to 343 really made me think of Jim Starlin the way he would do really mm-hmm. uh, long vertical panels and just kind of change the size like they're oh, building sure. and stacking yeah, on one another it was very uh, Starlin Warlock I think that use but you know it's uh, yeah I mean artistically it's fantastic this issue there's not like some insane takeaway other than like if you think, like, a Hulk versus Wolverine fight is, like, yeah, I don't really care, like, whatever action, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Like, it's actually quite a bit better than that. You know, Which is what I like thought about halfway showcase. through this issue. Is I yeah. was kind of like, oh, this seems like a diversion from the main story and just an excuse to have two cool heroes punch each other. Like mm-hmm. like we used to see in the Silver Age, and then, yeah. Um, yeah we, we can talk about the specifics of the story, but I kind of just want to talk about, broadly, the Hulk here and why I think he's turned into, like, one of Marvel's more compelling characters in this run. Yeah. I think he's a contradictory character and like how much how often do we get that in these comics he's just a very he's a complicated nuanced character who what he says and what he does you know are at odds with each other he's fighting with himself it is not through the constant like claremont the character in their own head is saying it spelling it out panel after panel after panel like right. the contradictions in their head although there was some of that most of that happens through other people like the Hulk, does the internal things. monologue is Wolverine's in three forty. You know, yeah, it's not right. it's not Bruce's. But other people call out the Hulk and Bruce Banner for being a hypocrite quite often, and for mm-hmm. um, but you know, like they they just really get into Bruce Banner and the Hulk. They're not quite as separate as they both like to think, right? And like, there's a nice the moment Hulk. in three forty three to three forty five where mm-hmm. um, Bruce wants to protect Betty from these new characters, Rock and Redeemer, and he fails. Hulk bursts out, but then Hulk shows some dismay and surprise at Betty being in danger. Screams he denies it name, later. Yeah. He's like, I don't care about her. It's Bruce's girl, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, yes, to exactly your point, that sells, like, oh, they're they're connected in ways they don't even want to acknowledge, which makes yeah, sense. And that's, that, yeah, it's so compelling, right? Like, he's just, 
That's a very interesting character trait. He's also still a bad guy, right? Like it, this, I feel like this is the beginning of 2000s era TV of just wanting to watch like bad, complicated men <laughs> of like Mad Men, Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire. Bad, looking yeah. into a mirror. Am I that, that man, Zach? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it has that kind of, like, you're simultaneously, like, reveling in how much of a badass he is while also kind of rooting for him to, like, come to peace with himself and find some, you know, uh, self-actualization with, like, Banner. Um, I, I the, do the think non-hero Hulk works work the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think my favorite yeah, Hulk comics yeah. are a... always just not pretending he's out here to save the day. He might do good mm-hmm. things occasionally, but it's generally not what he's trying to do. You know, yeah, him so on like, the team is not. I mean, I, I like some of his Defender stuff because he was weirdly like the straight man mm-hmm. to, uh, or no, Doctor Strange was like the straight man to his like goofiness. He was, he was but that, goofy. you know, that that was him kind of doing a one note joke in those, and that's fine. But it's not like actually interesting to watch him be a hero, like. What are his motives? They're not, they're nothing much. Um, so the the master is the big like villain here. The master is <laughs> the the leader. Who's the master? Is the master someone? is Doctor Who, big Doctor Who villain. I don't know Doctor Who. You've um, never, have you never seen Doctor Who? Any? I've never watched. I've watched Ooh. like ten minutes of the, the when it started rebooting, and I was like, mannequins chasing somebody. This is for babies. I'm not watching this. <laughs> Literally, I, you've been slandered as well. Sorry. Yeah. I, 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 I've talked to people who like that show, and they've been like, even that is not like indicative of how good that show is. I'm, I'm sure it's much better. I've no, heard that show. Every is episode like, is, has, is like at least 25 minutes of mannequins chasing kids. That, that I've heard that show Doctor has who. incredibly high highs, and then like the absolute lowest lows, like sure, in a single sure. season. <laughs> we'll have, yeah. So I, I've just never given it a fair shot. Um, the leader is a. Uh, I don't know. The, the Rick Jones, Quartermain, and the Hulk are on a mission to grab all the gamma bombs in order to never have another Hulk happen, right? Which I think is also compelling and like it's fun to have the Hulk on a quest, right? Like the video a, game premise, a, right? And it, it, but it's also like it's over years, right? Like they are on this quest for like at least a dozen issues, and they're on this road trip. It gives them a good um, through line for this. The leader steals one of these bombs, sets it up in a town, and middle gives town. Them time. Yeah, middle Average town. And gives suburban them America. Time to defuse it, have a showdown with this guy called the Rock and the Redeemer, who used to be like Hulkbusters. Gets and there's into some, their there's some actually pretty good characterizations by David, just building like okay, get to know these guys a little. Those and then, flashbacks and now about them are lackeys. really good. Yeah. yeah, they're effective and they're, uh, you know in, in brief, they're the, economical. The yeah, it's like two pages, and you're like, oh, I get this guy, the Rock. Mm-hmm. The Rock has the best character design. Because it's just like if you, <laughs> what happened if you embed a man in a rock? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's the most anime uh, character design I've ever seen in Marvel. He's mm. very anime looking, That's but it also he just looks like a stone chair. Like he literally looks like a throne. I always think he like, looks like roughly... a Pokemon. Like he looks like a rock Pokemon, but with a human sure, face. Sure, like a uh, clamster. What's that? What are those clam Pokemon called? Clamster. Uh, no, not clamster. Oys. No, we'll think of it. We'll clam get... Pokemon. Oh, shellster. Yeah. Sorry. Right? Yeah. Yep. You got it. Clamp, clam pearl? That could be I, dangerous. Don't I don't know that. that. Oh, that's that's 366. That's that's past my when I was into Pokemon. I've been playing Pokemon Shield and Sword lately, a little bit with my son, but mostly for myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, oh boy, there are lots of new Pokemon, Zach. They have dropped a lot of new Pokemon. I love us. checking in on that once in a while, and it's just like, oh, what's this Pokemon? Ooh, a pair of keys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's this Pokemon? It's a balloon that steals children's souls. Like <laughs> They're pretty wild. Like, they're yeah, pretty wild. Yeah. One I've been into lately is a hawk who is a luchador. Uh, oh, I've that, seen him. He's great. Yeah, that's, that's a good design. Fun. I don't I do love all the new designs. Luchador, yeah. Some some of them are way over designed, but that one's good. Sure. You playing? Uh, are you doing the Nuzlocke? Nuzlocke run? I don't even know what that is. All right, we'll talk about it later. Let's. All right. Anyway, so the the uh, the leader blows up this town. He like double crosses them. That's a great issue. That like final double issue three forty five. Yep. Where like it, the the leader's plan. Like we literally see him have a check mark of just like <laughs> the check mark I is really funny of like yeah. you know uh, stop the newspapers from coming to this town cut off the radio and TV so that no one in the town knows like about this threat but then one of the check marks is like lie to the redeemer and the rock yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it's on his daily to do list good thing they to, like, did not find to his to do list up on the fridge yeah yep yeah. um and. Uh, yeah, I, it, it, I like the leader as a Hulk villain a lot. I do have to say, I like McFarlane's yeah. kind of um, 
more detailed and just kind of like it's not body horror but it's kind of a gross leader expansion you know he's very bumpy lots of veins popping out of his head yeah Yeah, it's it's more it looks a little grosser than we've seen him again he's a really good hulk villain because his plans are like i'm always one step ahead of you and i'm calling the shots and basically it's always like he's kind of telling the story um but yeah he blows up this town with a gamma bomb like essentially just to like just to do it. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it's just kind of a thing he wants to try with an experiment. He's curious what will happen. And uh, and obviously Hulk gets caught in there. He And, you know, he's that's kind of where we end off on this issue is, like, the town blows up. Bad things happen. The Hulk was caught in there. What's that going to mean for Hulk moving forward? And it means some pretty good things as far as I'm concerned because it takes us yeah, into we, Joe Fix-It era. Well, the, the issue we skipped, just because I, I think this is probably important, um, is kind of the aftermath of this, which is without the Hulk. Like, no one knows where the Hulk went in this issue. And we do see all, all those members of the town. We get little snapshots of all these different members in the town. A priest, this um, this lawyer who wants to get out of town, all these different people. All of them are the people who survived the Gamma Bomb and come out looking like mini Hulks. Like, they mm. are the people who are, like, scraped out of the, the explosion. So I'm kind of assuming he's going to do something with that. Like, all these... Uh, these Hulks and the uh, the leader actually goes and like steals them all for himself, like kidnaps all these people. So, so yeah, that moves into Joe Fix It. Uh, it is the Hulk and Casino, right? He's like a Las well, Vegas. Well, he's not. Gangster. He's not. Nobody. He won't admit he's the Hulk, and sure. nobody quote unquote nobody knows he's the Hulk. I don't know why I quoted that, but like in theory, nobody knows he's the Hulk. Um, yeah. He is now Joe Fix It, and he's all gray, and he wears fun hats, and he's got kind of an old timey uh, mob you know, kind of bouncer attitude and, and mentality and language. And uh, he's working in Vegas and, and guy just wants to work in Vegas and be left alone. So he's just a big gray, uh, gray guy working in Vegas. That's who, that's who Hulk is now. And this is where David's run really kind of becomes something else entirely kind of looking at like, what are all these different personalities inside Bruce Banner's head? How do we explore them in ways that haven't been done before? This is where we finally hit like, Oh, you, you do something no one has done in that you have a new Hulk, but it's the same person, but it's just like another psychology has taken over. Another, another yeah, did you well, did you over. get that vibe that this is not like because I just got the vibe that the Hulk was like, eh, you know what? Everyone thinks the Hulk's dead. I'm gonna start fresh here. Not that like he got you know his mind scrambled and he's just like, oh, I, I think Joe, I think he it. knows he just doesn't want other people to be okay, talking. Okay, all right, good. Yeah, I just wasn't, I wasn't sure if I missed yeah. something. Um, yeah, because like in the the second issue here, uh, one of these gangsters who like isn't a a rival rival gangster hires Crushel Creel, the Absorbing Man, which I gasped when I saw because I love yeah, the Absorbing Man. Must have been excited. Um, yep, yeah, yeah, I love this guy. And then like hires him to fight the Hulk, and he's just like, oh, I know you. Like if I knew it was the Hulk, I would have touched you, gotten some of that gray skin. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, right. oh, sorry, I do want to point out one stupid aspect of this is that no one recognizes the Hulk. It's a little dumb that like. Well, he does wear a hat. He does wear that's a hat, true. to be fair. He also has sex with a woman who is just like, oh boy, I can't even describe how good that was. He was, a, he was a little Indian, though, or something. Weird tan. I don't know. Like, the idea that, like, women are just like, my lover is uh, he's a very odd man, but, oh boy, in bed? <laughs> like, which is also just horrifying. Like, the, the idea of trying to sexify the Hulk. Peter David way. likes sexifying the Hulk. Okay. I'm going to yeah. leave it at that because there's a bigger <laughs> example I can think of later uh, okay. that uh, that is in a very good story. But, yes, he does have an I interest mean, in that. He's just, yeah. All right. Anyway, um, so, yeah, it, it's fun. Like, it's a fun new context. It's just kind of like a wild place to put a superhero, right? Because he's not a superhero. He's just a guy who's, like, on the lam working as an enforcer for a gangster right there's nothing good about this it's just uh no no totally right it's like deprived of of the ethics of heroism or whatever that the whole totally been, so far removed you know yeah. prescribing to in the past i mean yeah it's it's just like hey what do we like about comics in marvel comics in 88 it's when creators do new stuff and see yep. what sticks and this is that uh, so definitely worth checking out if you're interested in the history of the hulk because again like this is a character that has legs uh, this Man, is an idea I, yeah. that has legs be, being having read a lot of the Immortal Hulk in like 2017 and onward, 2018, I think. Yeah. Onward, uh, it's so cool, like seeing all this stuff and being like, oh wow, all this stuff had like roots back now. Yeah. Now, right? Like right. this is you know Al Ewing is building on this in such cool ways. Um, so that that's really like satisfying. Like you don't need this for the Immortal Hulk. You can pick it up, but like 
it's you know it does flesh it out um i i do just want to point out that we didn't read this one but 346 has one of the best like everyone hates rick jones moments because he's testifying in court about their like all being on the lamb and uh like he gets in front of court and they're like tell me everything that happened and he's like everything okay i was born in a a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then a senator's like mr jones we are not amused and then he's just like next panel shows uh rick jones tombstone of what happened if bruce banner didn't come around and it's just like it's amazing watching rick jones just get like yelled at and you are you are that judge you have never felt as seen as that judge uh, scolding (laughs) rick jones which i appreciate yeah exactly so thanks everybody for listening this has been uh 88 part one and next time you'll see the issues in the show notes but next time on 88 part two we're going to be joined by special guest sarah century talking Mm -hmm. fall of the mutants we're going to talk a big old x-men event it is technically a crossover although we'll see it plays out uh, a little bit differently and we're going to talk the biggest thing in x-men in 88 with special guest sarah century so that should be a pretty fun time. Stay tuned next week for that. Yeah, like a, a writer on many places, but Comic Book Herald, right? Um, she uh, she just did a cool Black Widow graphic novel, like retrospective that I, I read through. That was pretty cool. Absolutely, um, absolutely. You can find you, a lot of Sarah's writing that? on uh, SciFi.com, um, and definitely check her out on Twitter as well because she is one of the best comics uh, writers. Or what do you what do you call them? Writers about comics out there. What what would you say? Com- Somebody who com- writes about oh, I know. comics, yeah, it, it but not, you're not a comics writer, because that means you write a comic book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I it, know, like, comics journalist works, but, like, I'm not a comics journalist, Yeah. right? Uh, yeah, I guess. You could have said yeah. I was. That would have I would have appreciated Well, no, that. I don't know. Maybe you, you you're, like, getting into inter- you're getting into interviews and stuff. I think that veers into journalism. I think if you interview someone, you're a journalist. Yeah, I think so. Right? Yeah. Like, at what, at what point are you? I've got the fedora. I've got the trench coat. I've got a little notepad in it. All I need is to you're always somebody. standing, standing in the in a, a toll booth or a uh, like a phone toll booth when it's raining out. Every time I see somebody in a parking garage, I say "deep throat." <laughs> and I say, Excuse me, and I run into my car. Yeah, I've got people run screaming. Oh, also, she's got a podcast, "Bitches on Comics," which is yeah, that's good. a good one. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can yeah. plug all that when we talk to her as well. And yeah, we yeah, will. But- uh, but yeah, in the meantime, let's plug us. Go to patreon.com slash mymarvel this year. You want to support the show? That would be awesome. Rate and review if you made it this far. And listen mm-hmm. to Music by Disaster Piece, who does music oh, it's, for it's this all show. Very good. Rise of the Interstellar Obsidian, one of my favorite albums by him. My least favorite album by that artist, but, <laughs> but I you love, love recommending it. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. just kidding. Um, I, it's probably my second least favorite. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> I'm Dave. He's Zach. We're My Marvelous Year. We'll see you next year. See you next year. Uh